And I'm looking forward to taking your calls at 217-688-1433 as soon as I get done with that. But before I get started with the monologue, of course, got to play that intro music. Scotty Jam Jams, fantastic, beautiful, amazing, Surreal Politics intro. Welcome to Surreal Politics for this December 18, 2023, being the current year. It's a Monday as usual, 9.30, uh, just a little bit past 9.30. But, you know, we, we, considering, all things considered, that's pretty good for today. Um, this is Stage 1, Episode 39. I titled this Gravity on account of uh, something I kind of experienced very early this morning. Uh, I, had, uh, I had occasion early this morning to chat face-to-face with a white female smoker of retirement age. I had a long overdue issue to address and made my way to do it at what might be described as the last minute. This had left me in the unenviable position of operating an electric scooter during a December hailstorm in New Hampshire pre-dawn. As a brief aside, my electric scooter has many benefits, most notably as a conversation starter. When I found myself lacking internet access in the year 2020, I was deprived of a very nice car as a consequence. That upset me for a time, but the chats I've had since might well make up for the loss. The woman was appropriately nervous to see me approach her at the hour I did, given the neighborhood. It wasn't always like that in New Hampshire, but it makes perfect sense today. Our conversation began as I departed another building, and she realized I was not a threat to her safety. The woman had remarked about the unpleasantness I must be facing as she smoked what was likely her fifth cigarette outside of her apartment building, which I gathered was something of a retirement community. She said to me something to the effect that she hoped I was carrying a firearm to be traveling by these means in this city after dark. Having been wrongly deprived of the means to do so lawfully, this triggered, no pun intended, an emotional response from me. I looked at her and I saw she was fearful of a place I had moved to 11 years ago precisely to escape these thoughts. This had followed serendipitously my having occasion earlier this morning to listen to a piece I had released some time ago titled Beauty Revisited, wherein I discussed at some length the sadness of witnessing New Hampshire's decline. I heard my own voice simultaneously with hers in my mind. I saw the lines in her face convey all that her words failed to mention. Doing my best to appeal to a global audience, I don't catch much local news. I came to know this morning that this is likely for the best. She remarked that in the last six months, there have been many rapes in my city, and this elderly smoker feared she might well be next if she dared to leave her porch after dark. It's a terrible shame I was not carrying a recorder with me at the time. I suppose I could have used my phone, but in any case, I'm sure she'd have found it off-putting had I began recording whatever the equipment involved. I disclosed to her that I was not long out of prison and that the circumstances which found me there, my offense at something said of a woman I cared deeply for, had left me deprived of my carry permit, and that I was, but that I was more than capable of defending myself. The fury I felt at hearing her words and seeing the fear in her eyes, the fury I felt at hearing her words and seeing the fear in her eyes left me in a position where I might well have gone looking for the opportunity to test that capacity our conversation about the intentional effort to change the state's demographics went on for nearly an hour as ice pellets pummeled the ground nearby. She was no extremist, but her age had not yet taken her sight. She knew what was going on. Everybody in the city does. They're, not, they're doing this to us on purpose out of an anti-white ethnic animus. And the only thing anyone finds curious at this point is why they hate us so much. 
I thought better than to try and explain that part under the circumstances, but I invited her to check out my podcast, and as I departed, I thanked her for the opportunity to hear her speak of her concerns. The city has some odd traffic patterns, which can be confusing at times. The municipal government has a deal with some company to make electric scooters publicly available using a smartphone app, so their use is quite common in this area. I wanted to make sure I operated mine lawfully, of course, so when I obtained it, I had spoken to an officer at the local police department who explained to me that I was to obey the same laws as a bicycle, essentially, drive on the right side of the road, no riding on the sidewalks, use the bike lanes where available, don't go the wrong way down a one-way street, most pertinently to our story. Where I found myself at that hour, there is what I suppose could be described as something of a plaza. As a consequence of this unusual circumstance, there are several blocks where one cannot, by vehicle, reach Elm Street, where most of the shopping and restaurants and bars are located. I needed to cross Elm Street to get home, and I was not used to being on this side of Elm Street. From what I see in my neighborhood, I tend to think that I live on the wrong side of the proverbial tracks, though there is no train here. But as the ice bounced off my face while I tried to find my way in the dark, I began to wonder if things may be worse this side of Elm Street. That seemed a reasonable assumption, since the woman mentioned to me there was a methadone clinic mere feet from her door. I was thrown off by several blocks, all going one way the same way, opposite of the direction I needed to go. Consequent of this confusion this caused, consequent of the confusion this caused, I traversed a parking lot, and in that parking lot, I saw two young girls wearing pink. Soaked though they were from the weather, I was sure the two of them together weighed less than I, Fresh off chatting with this elderly smoker who feared she might be raped feet from her own porch, I damn near grabbed the both of them and asked why their parents shouldn't be in prison for allowing this, assuming they were not already there for pimping them out, which I don't suppose is an entirely safe assumption. Intuition told me my probation officer would disagree with this approach, so I did my best to ignore it. I'm forced to do entirely too much of this in recent months. Among those things I've had to ignore were a series of domestic disputes in which it was clear to me by the sounds penetrating a thin shared wall that a black man high on drugs was beating his white girlfriend. The first time I heard it, mere days out of prison myself, I plotted the man's murder in my mind. By the third, I blamed the woman, and this of course caused me to hold myself in greater contempt than I had for the both of them combined. Quite the monster must I be to think such a thing, of course. Had I only not been a coward when I heard it the first time, she'd be just fine, I told myself, knowing full well the opposite was true. I remark from time to time that I'm grateful to have suffered in life. It borders on a catchphrase that I say there is opportunity in suffering, and this has never been more true than as I have witnessed what, become the, what has become of this city. I like to think I'm in touch with what these people are going through, and whether or not that is accurate, I know that I at least feel their pain. This brings me nothing that could be described as comfort, but I am very grateful for it. I don't think most political actors have this benefit. Whether or not this elderly smoker feels safe is less important than per capita crime rates in comparisons with comparable districts. The fear of a retired woman that she might be raped by drug addicts can be offset by the good they tell themselves they have done by saving those drug addicts from overdose with cheap and abundant Narcan. The woman told me that she was planning to leave the city, and though I remarked to her that they are eventually going to leave us with nowhere to run, I knew this was a sound choice for her. She could surely head north and avoid the worst of it all in a more rural area, passing of natural causes before they get around to leveling whatever mountain she opts to reside upon and turning the area into low-income housing and more methadone clinics. I imagine the people who run this city view this mathematically. The loss of one retiree is a small price to pay for an increase in overall population through refugee resettlement and the subsidies that accompany this. I do not know all the details of the mechanics, but it is very clear to me that Massachusetts is dumping their drug addicts in this city as a government program, and the federal government is releasing prisoners here who were not New Hampshire residents at the time of their arrest. It is as unambiguous as any government program has ever been in its effort to change the demographics of this once nearly all-white state. They went so far as to brag about this in the New York Times several years ago. I archived and bookmarked the piece for its staggering audacity. The July 2018 headline reads, New Hampshire, 94% white, asks, how do you diversify a whole state? It seems they've found a way, several as it were, refugee resettlement, abundant services for out-of-state drug addicts, becoming home to federal prisoners down on their luck. These are just a few of the methods deployed. Southern New Hampshire University is, 
Southern New Hampshire University is also very near to me. I remember on a trip to Walmart in September, I noticed the store was busier than usual, and near all of the extra shoppers were black. I asked my friend who drove me there what the hell was going on, and she informed me that it likely had to do with the kids arriving for college. But I have moaned... But I have known more than a few black people in my 43 years. They do not aspire, generally, to migrate to colder climates. If the university has a dramatic overrepresentation of black students, this is because they have gone to some expense making it so. I'm aware that to notice this makes me some kind of dreaded racist, but I was somewhat relieved to know that this retiree saw it near as clear as I did. Should she and I end up in the same place in the afterlife, I'll tolerate the heat if I must, but I have a difficult time imagining a just God would punish this woman. I'm another story, obviously, but I'll consider my sins quite forgiven if I bump into her after I die. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Let's go check on our chats here. I'm sad our friends at Goyam TV doesn't uh, seem to be working over there today. I, uh, I did set up the stream, so if they come back online before we're done here today then they will be able to catch up with us. Number to call is 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program, and I'd love to hear from you. I'm going to pull up real quick. Let me go grab this. I'm going to play a clip, and I'll come right back if you'll bear with me. What are you? Uh, not that one. Hang on a second. This is kind. Of, this is longer than I'd usually play for a clip, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'll be back in a couple minutes. Good to be with all of you today. I hope you're doing all right. Hope you had a nice weekend. I, uh, I myself, I had a troubling experience over the weekend. It was, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not complaining, but uh, I thought it was worth sharing with you because uh, I think it helps provide some much-needed perspective on what's important in our politics. You know, I've always found this phenomenon of the so-called single-issue voter kind of silly. You know what I mean? Even if it is understandable, you know, while it is, of course, understandable in the extreme that people care deeply for some things more than others and can hardly be expected to understand all the intricacies of the government's many tentacles, I have long held in contempt those who are so blinded by this or that pet project that they come to embody this cliche of missing the forest for the trees. The libertarians, as they do in so many contexts, provide a helpful warning poster here. The Libertarian Project is vast in its scope, but narrow in its perceptions. You could hardly describe them as single-issue voters since they want to completely reorder society, but they aim to do so along this spectrum of more or less government without much concern for all that that entails. Since the world is decidedly more complex than this, their ideas cease to correspond with reality, and eventually you come to see from them the grotesque things we become accustomed to seeing. I'm not even sure, like, it warrants mentioning any more egalitarianism. It's just, it's, it's just fake at this point. But, you know, we'll give it a drive-by. Their seething anti-white racial animus parading as a desire to help the downtrodden had had a, a surprisingly long run, I might say. But there are no longer any true believers in the inherent equality of man, if any ever did exist. There are those that oppose this fraud and those who coercively demand that people assent to their lies and operate as if they were true, even knowing that they are not. There is no longer any effort to convince people it is purely coercive and unapologetically so. But whatever the reality, this dimension of our politics wherein the government is good or bad to the extent that all of its citizens own the same amount and quality of stuff, well... With lunacy like that pervasive for so long, it is hardly any wonder that libertarianism briefly looked respectable to some. One of the things I've really liked seeing in recent years is outraged parents. Not that I'm glad that they're unhappy. Surely I would prefer that they were happy and right to be so. I should hope that that would go without saying. But since a parent would have to be terribly uninformed to be content with what's going on in the world these days, their outrage is preferable to their acquiescence. These people are not ideologues with notable exceptions. Among them, there is no consensus on the appropriate level or method of taxation. The demographic patterns are tough to miss, but it's not fundamentally ethnocentric. 
Many of them couldn't tell you what it means to be right-wing or left-wing, much less would they care to be so categorized. They have a rather simple, if expansive, demand. They want what is best for their kids. And truth be told, most of them have not the vaguest idea what that is, but when they see people doing things that are obviously intended to harm their children, the outrage is immediate and widespread and not at all subject to containment. Ideologues see this and they're like, oh, heck yeah, discontented people. I can go try to infect them with my mind virus. And this does not work out well for them, does it? Whether it's leftists telling them they need more diversity or libertarians telling them they need less government or nationalists blaming the Jews, the parents quite appropriately say, get away from me, weirdo. I just want these lunatics to leave my child alone. And from this experience, I have learned not to trust ideologues. If you want a measurement of good government, it would be making those people happy without lying to them. The government that does that will last a thousand years and all of its errors will be forgiven quite promptly. If you have ideological goals and you want to accomplish them, this is not to say that you cannot do so. You just have to fit it into that little framework. But ideologues have trouble accomplishing this because their motives are at odds with those of the people who support they require to enact them. They're so stuck in their own heads and social circles that they lose track of what normal people want. They speak in jargon and associate with like minds and treat non-ideologues as suspects. They are, simply put, part of the problem these parents have identified with society, even when it is their rival ideological sex causing the problem at the center of a given moment's outrage. Few things have outraged parents more, or more rightly, than the atrocities carried out in the name of COVID-19. I remember watching this masking lunacy on TV from jail and then from prison and joking with guys inside that the people outside the walls had it worse than us. And later on, I came to realize that might not be such a funny joke after all. Among the things... Now, you can listen to that uh, full segment if you like. It's um, stage one, episode 27. The uh, name of that episode was... Um, of some consequence, and it's worth listening to. I, I actually, I published that clip uh, to Telegram. I don't think I've actually put the the isolated clip with my my edits in it to the RSS feeds. I got to do that, and I will uh, I will get around to doing that. Feel free to remind me. Um, you know, last night I, I went on, a, I was doing, I talked on the prior episode, I've been doing this game streaming stuff. Had a bit of fun last night. I went, I started to play uh, uh, Mortal Kombat 11, on the Sony PlayStation with the voice chat enabled. And I was starting to get a little bit discouraged by this because I was like, nobody's talking. Um, and then I I ended up uh, in the middle of the match. This woman started talking to me, this girl, really. And uh, I had a pretty funny conversation with her. I have to cut the clip out. I'll upload it separately from the stream. Um, she tells me that she's in Canada. And I says, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You should move to America and marry a podcaster because... Apparently, I haven't uh, learned my lesson about you know, proposing to young Canadian women over the Internet. <laughs> um, but we actually had a pretty good talk. She, she told me that she was on her way to college, and I counseled her against that. Um, and it, we had a pretty productive conversation about it. She explained to me that there's not many people voice chatting on that game, and there's actually not that many people playing it anymore because the new Mortal Kombat has come out. Mortal Kombat 1, and sadly, they don't make this for the PlayStation 4, and I was kind of upset about this, but I went and I found they do have it for the Nintendo Switch, so I bought it for the Nintendo Switch last night, and uh, a fella, I think he calls himself I am Winston in the Odyssey chat, thank you very much, sir, he uh, he covered my expense of the game and my expense for the, uh, for the uh, Nintendo Switch on the Nintendo Online membership, whatever the name of that is. Uh, so that I could play the game online. <laughs> Infuriatingly, it does not appear that I can do the voice chat with the Nintendo Switch on Mortal Kombat 1. I can do it on Mortal Kombat 11 if I use their dumb smartphone app, but it doesn't appear that you have the capacity to voice chat on the Mortal Kombat 1 for the Nintendo Switch. So today, I went and I bought Mortal Kombat 1 for Steam, and apparently I can I can play that on there. Uh, I, I did some game streams. I, I played the Fursan al-Aqsa game, the one where you're like you're like a Hamas guy fighting the Israelis. 
and the the stream didn't come out so well. I ended up redoing it because there was like uh, uh, every time I go to change my screen, going from full screen to whatever, the, the adjustment in the the display settings causes the damn broadcaster app to crash. Um, I, I can fix that by broadcasting from a different computer that I'm that I'm playing the game on, and I'll do that. And so I think that we're going to have a lot of fun with this. If there's people talking on Mortal Kombat 1, and I can chat with them while I play, like, I'll play Mortal Kombat. Like, this is what I, if you if you heard me talk about it before, you know, it's what I used to play in the 90s. I played Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 for hours on end um, with my friends, and, you know, my girlfriend used to hate it or whatever, but... Um, apparently there's a lot of people playing that game online. I played a few rounds on the Nintendo Switch. The Nintendo Switch is a piece of garbage, by the way. Like, if you're thinking about buying a game system, just rule out buying a Nintendo Switch. Don't do it. You know, it's like 300 bucks, you know, and it was 300 bucks when it came out years ago, and it's still 300 bucks, and the thing sucks. So don't buy a Nintendo Switch. If you're thinking about buying a game system, don't do that. You, you will come to regret it, and all of the games that you invest in will be a waste of your money. Uh, you're better off either, um, you know, buying, playing on the PC or getting a PlayStation or something. But they don't have Mortal Kombat 1 for the PlayStation 4. They only have it for the PlayStation 5, which is ridiculous because if you have, if you could play it on the Nintendo Switch, you can definitely play it on the PlayStation 4. Like, the PlayStation 4 hardware is obviously capable of managing this game if it's able to play on the Nintendo Switch. And the gameplay on the Nintendo Switch is absolutely awful. And so, I'm like, it's completely ridiculous, but... Anyway, why does the Switch suck? Uh, if you have ever, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I, I, I have Mortal, hey, let me put it this way. I have Mortal Kombat 11 on the Switch and on the PlayStation 4. And to go from those two games, from one system to the other, it's completely, it's a completely different experience. The controls are you know, I mean, you could buy a different controller. As a matter of fact, I just ordered another controller for the Switch that that more closely resembles the PlayStation controller. Um, but uh, the 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 game doesn't move as quickly. The graphics are not as good visually. To look at the to look at the screen going from the PlayStation to the Switch in a matter of minutes, the the image itself is dramatic, and and the speed of the gameplay is different. And, like, you know, you're playing a fighting game that's, like, fast-moving. You know, if your system is slower than the other guy, you know, frames win games is the NVIDIA slogan, right? Like, they're trying to sell you these video cards because, uh, um, you know, they want to obviously want to make more money and sell you the higher-end equipment, right? And so they're, you know, working with the game developers, and they say frames win games, frames per second being the idea, you know. And it, I kind of tend to discount that as like marketing language. I'm like, you know, how much, how much difference can the video card make in your gameplay? If it shows the damn image on the screen, you got to be able to play the game, right? But that is, is really not true. I, I'm, I'm coming to realize it's, it's not the same thing. And so, um, I think it, 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 Tony in the chat says, damn it, MK11 doesn't have PC crossplay. I wanted to fight you. It does it not. I know that you can't chat with people on PC. I don't know if you, if it doesn't have, you can't play each other. You can't fight each other on there. That's interesting. Um, I was under the impression. I know that you could play like, I know that not everybody I played was on PlayStation. Like when you play somebody on a PlayStation, it shows the PlayStation logo, um, not with PS4 versus PC. All right. Well, well, you know, the, the other thing is this, like, Honestly, it's it's a funny idea to, to like play Mortal Kombat on the PC, especially I have this um I've mentioned this before, I have this like programmable keyboard here. Like if I can go and program in combos and stuff like that and I just hit that thing and it gets the move off every single time, like I'm going to be deadly in that game. And so, you know, I would I might I might well go ahead and purchase MK11 for the PC as well, like but if you can't I don't know. In any case, I know Mortal Kombat 1 has crossplay. You can definitely play against other players on on Mortal Kombat 1. I got that for $69 today, and I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to play that game. And so what, what the girl said to me, and who knows how accurate it is, you know, she was basically like, yeah, if you were playing Mortal Kombat 1 on the PC, 
Um, well, if you, she said, if you were playing Mortal Kombat 1, there'd be people playing, and you'd be able to talk to them. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll go do that right now. I tried to do it on the Switch. It was a nightmare. And so I bought it on the PC, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, the game streaming stuff, man, you know, I didn't, you know, I was kind of, I still am a little bit skeptical of it. But like I said, if I could talk to people, I think that's a thing worth doing. I got the 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 PlayStation uh, the PlayStation Plus premium subscription. So, like, I get access to all of the PlayStation games, and now I just bought the Nintendo Switch Online thing, and now I have the Mortal Kombat for for uh, for PC. And so I think that's going to be a lot of fun, just, you know, just to be able to talk to people in the games. And, you know, if I, in Mortal Kombat, I can play competently. Tony says I'm cheating if I use my programmable keyboard. And, yes, that's probably true. But, you know, that's their fault for not letting me play it on the PlayStation 4, you know. And so they get what they they get what they deserve, you know. If they're not going to give me the PlayStation Four game, there's no reason to do it. There's no legitimate excuse to make me to to deprive me of playing on the PlayStation Four. It's just if you could play it on the Switch, you could play it on the Four. If you're looking to stream, definitely use PC and Steam. Use the site IsThereAnyDeal.com to find the best prices for sure. Um, I guess uh, I'll look into that site, that bargain site. Um, and I hope that you're referencing like the the games themselves because I mean I have the equipment already. Like what I'm thinking about, I'm gonna do is that you know when I did when I streamed um, when I streamed Counter Strike, I was basically my my broadcasting application has what's known as a game source that it actually take the game video directly from the PC if you're streaming on the same computer as the one that you're playing the game on. I'm not gonna do that in the future because. You know, it's demanding on the computer to stream. It's demanding on the computer to do the background removal of my camera. It's demanding on the computer to play the game. And so I'm actually going to start streaming from a different computer than I'm playing the game on. But I have the video capture card. So, like, I can play the game, output the video, and then basically use that, the output to uh, to another thing and do it that way. Um, wow. Damn, bro, you should get a refund for MK1 and buy it on cdkeys.com for $32.99. Well, yeah, I should have done that probably. That's unfortunate. I'm going to have to uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, it sounds like I did overpay for the Steam version. Well, you know, if I can talk to people in the game, I'll make up for it. You know, it, it, I was I was furious when I started talking to this girl last night. Like, I, I was really into the conversation. I started, I mentioned, you know, when I talked to her, I, I started off, I said, oh, I was kind of, you know, half joking, like, oh, you're Canadian. I'm sorry to hear that. You should move to America and marry a podcaster. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate when you start off with a joke marriage proposal because, you know, if 20 minutes later you decide that you want to make a real one, you know, you've you kind of ruined it. And that's kind of what happened last night. She told me she was, like, just about to start going into college. And uh, as I counseled her again, that she ended up bringing up Pizzagate un, unsolicited. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I don't know if they're all running it out of a pizza shop or whatever, but they definitely, uh, you know, the government's run by a bunch of pedophiles. This is what happens when you allow certain people to control your financial system. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of funny. I got to talk to another guy, like a German guy. He didn't speak English very well, but uh, he complimented me on my gameplay. And uh, it was pretty funny. I tried to talk to him about immigration He's like, oh, my English isn't very good. I'm like, you know what immigration is. You might be afraid to talk about it, but you know what I'm talking about. And he, he laughed and and did not respond further. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to move on then. But, you know, that was definitely the case. He understood what I was saying, but he, he was afraid he was going to get in trouble if he spoke about it honestly because that's what life is like in Germany now. So 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Let's go look at some news here. Um, apparently, you know, good news for the gays, I guess, because the Catholic Church, you know, which the gays are all about, the Catholic Church, you know, and so the, the Catholic Church really wants to try to cater to them, apparently, and Pope Francis formally approved letting Catholic priests bless same-sex couples, the Vatican announced on Monday, a radical shift in policy that aimed at making the church more inclusive while maintaining its strict ban on gay marriage. <laughs> I don't think that you've done that, actually. But while the Vatican statement was heralded by some as a step toward breaking down discrimination in the Catholic Church, some LGBTQP plus advocates warned it underscored the Church's idea that gay couples remain inferior to heterosexual partnerships. 
Picabo from the document from the Vatican's Doctrine Office elaborates on a letter Francis sent to two conservative cardinals that was published in October. In that preliminary response, Francis suggested uh, such blessings could be offered under some circumstances if the blessings weren't confused with the ritual of marriage. The new document repeats that condition and elaborates on it, reaffirming that marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman, and it stresses that blessings in question must not be tied to any specific Catholic celebration or religious service and should not be conferred at the same time as a civil union ceremony. Moreover, the blessing cannot use set rituals or even involve the clothing and gestures that belong in a wedding. But it says requests for blessings for same-sex couples should not be denied. It offers an extensive and broad definition of the term blessing in Scripture to insist that people seeking a transcendent relationship with God and looking for his love and mercy shouldn't be held up to an impossible moral standard to receive it. For those seeking a blessing should not be required to have prior moral perfection, it said. There is no intention to legitimize anything, but rather to open one's life to God, to ask for his help to live better, and also to invoke the Holy Spirit so that values of the gospel may be lived with greater faithfulness, it added. The document marks the latest gesture of outreach from a pope who has made welcoming LGBTQ plus Catholics a hallmark of his papacy. From his 2013 quip, Who Am I to Judge?, about a purportedly gay priest to his 2023 comment to the Associated Press that being homosexual is not a crime, Francis has distinguished himself from all of his predecessors with his message of welcome. The significance of this news cannot be overstated, said Francis De Bernardo of the New Ways Ministry, which supports LGBTQ plus Catholics. It is one thing to formally approve same-gender blessings, which he had already pastorally permitted, but to say that people should not be subjected to an exhaustive moral analysis to receive God's love and mercy is an even more significant step. The Vatican holds that marriage is an indissoluble union between a man and a woman. As a result, it has long opposed same-sex marriage and considers homosexual acts to be intrinsically disordered. Nothing in the new document changes that teaching, except for the fact that they're blessing it. <laughs> and in 2021, the Vatican's uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith said flat out that the church couldn't bless unions of two men or two women because God cannot bless sin. Well, you don't say. That 2021 pronouncement created an outcry and appeared to have blindsided Francis, even though he had technically approved its publication. Soon after it was published, he removed the official responsible for it and set about laying the groundwork for a reversal. In the new document, the Vatican said the church must avoid doctrinal or disciplinary schemes, especially when they lead to narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others. Because, you know, we wouldn't want to be judging anybody because, you know, that's not, that's not, that's not what God's about. God doesn't judge people, uh, contrary to popular opinion. It said, ultimately, a blessing is about helping people increase their trust in God. It is a seed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a seed, all right, of the Holy Spirit that must be nurtured. Oh, come on. I just, I'm sorry. I just lost my place here. Um, it must be nurtured, not hindered. It stresses that people in irregular unions of extramarital sex, gay or straight, are in a state of sin. But it said that it shouldn't deprive them of God's love or mercy. Even when a person's relationship with God is clouded by sin, he could always ask for a blessing, stretching out his hand to God, the document said. Thus, when people ask for a blessing, an exhaustive moral analysis should not be placed as a precondition for conferring it. The Reverend James Martin, who advocates for a greater welcome for LGBTQP plus Catholics, um, praised the new document as a huge step forward and a dramatic shift from the Vatican's 2021 policy. Along with many Catholic priests, I will now be delighted to bless my friends in same-sex marriages, he sent in an email. Traditionalists, however, were outraged. The traditionalist blogger Luigi Casolini of Mesa in Latino, Latin Mass, blog wrote that the document appeared to be a form of heresy. The church is crumbling, he wrote. University of Notre Dame theological uh, theologian Ulrich Lenner was also concerned, saying it would merely sow confusion and could lead to, the divi to division within the church. The Vatican's statement is, in my view, the most unfortunate public announcement in decades, he said in a statement. 
Moreover, some bishops will use it as a pretext to do what the document explicitly forbids, especially since the Vatican has not stopped them before. It is, I hate to say it, an invitation to schism. Ramon Gomez, in charge of human rights for the Movement for Homosexual Integration and Liberation Group in Chile, said the statement was a step forward, breaking down discrimination in the church and could help LGBTQ plus people in countries even where civil unions are not legal. But he said the document was belated and contradictory in specifying a non-ritualized blessing that cannot be confused with marriage. Such a mixed message, he said, thus once again gives the signal that same-sex couples are inferior to heterosexual couples. I think that's kind of the, the idea. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when they're calling it sin, <laughs> the, the, the church actually does view that as inferior to living a you know healthy life. That's kind of the idea behind the whole concept of sin. The Vatican admonition to refrain from codifying any blessing or prayer appeared to be a response to Flemish-speaking bishops in Belgium who last year proposed a text for a prayer for same-sex couples that included prayers, scriptural readings, and expressions of commitment. In Germany, individual priests have been blessing same-sex couples for years as part of a progressive trend in the German church. In September, several Catholic priests held a ceremony blessing same-sex couples outside Cologne Cathedral to protest the city's conservative archbishop, Cardinal Rainer Maria Walecki. The head of the German Bishops' Conference welcomed the document. This means that a blessing can be given to couples who do not have the opportunity to marry in church, for example, due to divorce and to same-sex couples, Bishop George Batzing said in a statement. The practice of the church knows a variety of forms of blessing. It is good that this treasure for the diversity of lifestyles is now being raised. In the United States, Reverend John Osterley a, uh, a Catholic priest and hospital chaplain in Pittsburgh said many priests would probably not be open to offering such a blessing, but he welcomed Francis's action. I think the Pope has learned to accept people as God made them, he said on Monday. When I was growing up, the assumption was that God made everyone straight. What we have learned is that that is not true. In accepting people as God made them, and if Jesus' primary teaching is that we should love and serve one another in the community, I think that's what gives Pope Francis the openness to God's presence in those relationships. The Church of England on Sunday announced a similar move, allowing clergy to bless the unions of same-sex couples who had civil weddings or partnerships, but it still bans church weddings for same-sex couples. And so, yeah, I think the idea behind, yeah, we're not going to have you get married. We're not going to call your relationship a marriage. We're actually going to explicitly call it sin and just say that we're going to sort of endorse the sin because, you know, we wouldn't want to. Uh, we wouldn't want to upset anybody. Yeah, that's actually explicitly saying that the the same sex couple is inferior to the married man and woman who get married and have a family. It's the whole entire point of the enterprise. That's the whole entire point of marriage, actually. And so uh, they don't want to admit that though, because you know it's not okay to tell the truth these days. You 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 go have a conversation with God apparently and then you're like, "Okay, look, we got to we got to worry about what people are going to say about us, so we got to kind of play this off." And then God's like, "Okay, well, you know, look, I told you not to like, you know, bear false witness or whatever, but this is kind of a different situation because we understand what'll happen to your credit card processing if you go against these people. So you do whatever you have to do, pal." 217688 1433, if you'd like to be on the program, and the more you told, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. <laughs> That's pretty funny, but I'm not going to read it on the chat. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, this one. No, I'm not going to do that. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? You know, I guess I might as well. I, I, you know, I've been, I've been trying, I've been, I've made an honest effort to sort of like not put myself in the center of this thing, but you know, it's impossible for me not to notice it. You know, I, I mentioned on the, uh, a not so long ago member chat, I, I, I ended up releasing the, um, one of the segments from it where I titled it a history of, um, TRS and the radical agenda. I sort of talked about the history between me and these guys uh, at this uh, outfit called the right stuff.biz. And they had at some point gone and 
created this thing called the National Justice Party, which I was not a big fan of. If you know anything about me, if you've been paying attention to this show, um, you understand that I think that third party politics are a, at, in the best case scenario. They're a joke. They're a frivolity. And it's not something that serious people can afford to indulge in. Um, but they basically started this thing. And, you know, I'm sure they had their motives, but it wasn't a particularly good idea in my view. And it looks like the thing is coming apart. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, mixed feelings about, you know, what that entails and what that means. But their Telegram channel has been taken over by a guy that they fired, basically. And he's been, you know, trying to basically embarrass the people who remain. And so there's not anything on their official website describing what's going on. They haven't bothered to do that. But a guy calls himself Mike Enoch. He has a Telegram channel where he posted today. And on that channel, he mentioned something that referenced coming up with what to do next after the NJP. So I gather that this constitutes as close as I've seen to an official announcement of that party's dissolution. And on account of this, we might safely operate on that assumption. So with respect to our friends over there, whatever you do, don't make the same mistake twice. I posted to Telegram earlier. Third party politics is an absolute joke in the United States. It will remain so until after the Constitution is completely rewritten. And the guys over there have the intellect and knowledge of political mechanics to understand that. They possessed this understanding while they made statements to the contrary. And this has harmed their credibility with well-meaning people who once held them in very high regard. If, if you understand what happened over there, it is unambiguously the fault of a guy called Eric Stryker. Okay, Eric Stryker is anxious to take credit for that catastrophe. He's, he's said that the NJP was my baby. His blog was called National Justice, and then they turned around and they made the National Justice Party. He's responsible for the branding of the thing. It was his idea because he can't tolerate the idea of working with the Republican Party. And if you ask me, that's because the guy's fundamentally not a right-winger, and he just has contempt for Republicans, okay? So my advice to them is allow him to, you know, take credit for that. Blame the whole thing on him. You know, he says he, he says that this is his baby, and everything would have been fine if he hadn't been, you know, let go 15 minutes before the whole dumpster went ablaze, but let him have the credit for it. Walk away, blame him, move on is my advice to them. That guy, in my view, was bad news from the gate, all right? And they were smart enough to have seen this coming from a guy who tried to turn the alt-right into like the Nazi version of the Bernie Sanders campaign. We all saw what trying to play footsie with the left did to the libertarians. That error on the libertarians' part was largely responsible for the intellectual energy that rushed into the alt-right circa 2016. And the idea that TRS was going to somehow manage this better than them was a foreseeable disaster. Leftists are not leftists because they have misguided ideas about equality. They just tell you that because the actual truth of their existence is too horrifying to confess. They are leftists because they intentionally destroy everything they come into contact with due to their spite at the world for being unfit to live. That's the truth. That's why they are so big on, you know, it's among the reasons I should say why they're so big on subsidy, right? Like they don't like the idea that, you know, you must produce more than you consume, say. They don't, they can't tolerate the idea that someone's life must be a positive impact on the world. Now, politics can and must make compromises with the market economy, but it cannot replace the market economy with delusional nonsense promising to do away with obvious basics like the law of supply and demand through sheer force of will by a tiny minority of political fanatics. Telling people otherwise might give you a temporary boost of support by playing to envy, but it poses strict limits on your ability to accomplish more meaningful goals down the road. And I think that our friends over there saw that. You know, that, of course, unless you're willing to engage in the preposterous buffoonery today we see today from the likes of the Democrat Party. But even if you were to try to accomplish this, there would be no competitive advantage because the Democrats' extremism knows no bounds. Offer a million dollar an hour minimum wage and the Democrats will outbid you by double without so much as a smirk. You know, TRS, they made themselves a name as a right wing outfit. They were and are very good at that. I, I think that the best thing for them now is to sort of like 
suffer the loss of purging this leftist rot from their ranks, regroup, and be better ready for 2028. And I think that's pretty sound advice. It's not something that, <clears throat> you know, I'm saying to rub their nose in what's going on. I've really tried to avoid doing that. I think that they have obviously, you know, wielded a great deal of influence and and the idea that there's anything to be gained from that influence being scattered is is nonsense to me. You know, when Rush Limbaugh died, one of the things that infuriated me more than anything was, you know, he had this microphone and he spoke into it and all these millions of people heard what he said. He had all of these affiliate radio stations. He was heard on more stations than any other talk radio show, I'm, I think it's fair to say. And after he died, there was not a clear successor. And so you had all these people fighting over the scraps of the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Dan Bongino started doing a 12 to 3 show. Dana Lash started doing a 12 to 3 show. You had all these people sort of like trying to snatch up his affiliates. And like the, the EIB was just playing... It was, a, it was a funeral procession that went on for like two months that they were just playing old best of episodes and having Todd Herman and nonsense go and introduce them. It was a disaster. And so now you have like, I guess what they, uh, they eventually, what was it? Clay and Buck, Clay, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. That's their names. Clay and Buck, which, you know, some people have, played on those names to mock the name of the show. They actually now, when if you listen to their 12 to 3 show, you have the EIB ins and outs. They're actually, they have inherited the Rush Limbaugh brand. But their show is actually not very good from what little I've heard of it. And more importantly, there's not that single message going out to all of those affiliate stations. And so you don't have, the, the power has been dissipated, say. And so to the extent that they're doing any good, they're, they're doing less of it. And that's really unfortunate. And so I don't think, I actually really don't think that there's any, you know, whatever your opinions about TRS or how they've handled things, I really don't think there's any benefit to them being like crushed. I, I don't think that that's good. And I hope that they get it together. I hope they straighten this mess out because, you know, they definitely, they did good. They, there were good things that they did. And I don't want that good to cease, say. 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Um, let me see here. And, you know, I know I played this clip on a recent episode, but I might as well just do it again. I, it's... um. This is pretty short in any case. Third-party politics. This right guy's been screaming, NJP, NJP, that's the strategy. And then he's out, right? Was Is he going to go start another political party? Is he going to endorse the party that just kicked him out? Is he going to continue attacking Republicans and say, vote for Joe Biden, right? How many political parties should we start, fellas, right? I mean, this can get, this can get silly really fast. And I knew this from, you know, dealing with the libertarians, right? A two-party political system has its flaws, say, you know, but it forces serious political actors to negotiate. That's something that it's not ideologically rewarding to, you know, ideologues. But, you know, there's been a lot more stability in the United States than there has been in other parts of the world, say, you know. And you could make the case that, you know, the two-party system is largely responsible for that. Like, it does not it does not lend itself to dogmatic ideological mysticism. Like, you have to go and you just have to negotiate with people because you only have these two vehicles for political and social change. And to in order to participate in either one of those, you, you have to negotiate with the people who are already there. And then you have to think about what, you know, the general public wants and temper your ideological excesses as you attempt to win the public over to your side if you're like an ideologue then that's very unattractive right you're like no like i want to go and just completely reorder society according to my whims you know but as a matter of fact like the general public doesn't want that like even if your ideas are good like the general public does not want you to completely reorder society 
even if you would reorder it better, even if you could convince them that your complete dramatic reorganization of civilization would benefit them, the change alone would be unappealing. So like when people are often there like, you know, fringe ideological circles and they're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to do something other than other than the two-party system. What they're actually saying is we're going to go do something other than politics. And it's fine. You can do that. But like, watch what happens every single time. It's it's a perfectly predictable circumstance that, you know, those people are going to have more interpersonal spats than 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 the regular political parties do, because that's all there is to it. There's not a higher purpose to be obtained, right? Like if you're in the Republican Party and you're trying to win the presidency of the United States, you can temper your ego and your ideological excesses because you, because you have no other choice. And that's how you work towards obtaining that, that grander prize, which is your party in control of the government. If you have no intention of being in control of the government, what is there? There's money, there's ego, <laughs> you know, maybe there's sex like there's no higher thing to be obtained than your own personal grandizement and so you're going to have you know more of these things than you do in in the two-party system and of course we see this is not to say the two-party system is free of scandal <laughs> right it's it's all over the place but that's all you have in third-party politics it's the only thing that you have is your own personal aggrandizement so obviously you're going to see these things now, is everybody who has this problem, are they going to go start a new political party? Well, they might as well. Like, why not? You know, you're going to have the Eric Stryker political party, the Mike Enoch political party, the, the Sven political party. Like, everybody just start your own political party. You know, we'll just have them, you know, you just you start a political party like you start an LLC. You get a, you know, you, you just have your own sub stack. It, your sub stack is your political party fundamentally, right? You know, whatever it is. That's that's what third party politics is at the end of the day. Okay, and so somebody asked me on Telegram in response to this earlier, um, which I thought was a thoughtful question. The guy says, uh, respectfully, what do right wing politics look like going forward? A lot of the best qualities of any Trump campaign would be his rhetoric on immigration restriction, taxing remittances, trade tariffs, and even feigned union support. All not really free market. There are small factions in Congress that talk about abolishing the FBI and ATF, but they're fringe at best. Honestly curious to see where it ends up. I responded to him to say this. I said, if you think of right wing as equating to free market, things get confusing. I prefer to think of it in terms of coherent economic policy, and I conceive of the left versus right spectrum as roughly equating to order versus chaos. The left is literally anti-order. They want maximum entropy until what we call existence is no longer possible. In pursuit of this, they try to make it impossible to coherently organize thought. Gender nonsense and economics are of the same root in this for them. They don't just have bad economic ideas. They are positively hostile to economics as such, basically because this is an effective form of organization. They don't misunderstand race or sex or components of biology. They are deconstructing the capacity to think about these things in order to destroy us. It's all the same phenomena. The right is not an inflexible doctrine of policy positions. It is the coherent organization of a stable society by whatever means circumstances dictate. It is not the Constitution. It is not Christianity. It is certainly not Judeo-Christian values. It is not the family. It is not the state. In theory, any of these things could come or go, and you could still do things in an orderly fashion. But since we aim to do things in an orderly fashion, we observe and recognize that family, state, church, bodies of codified law, and other organizational units are part of the organism. We therefore aim to work within the confines of these things rather than to smash them to bits as aims the left to do. And I think that that's worth thinking about. You know, I, I, I think it's misguided and it's something that is often thrown at me as a straw man. When I try to talk to people about economics, they, they try to straw man it as like I'm, I'm trying to preach some libertarian free market orthodoxy and I'm not, okay? You know, I, I produced two episodes, one on here, one on the uncensored production, Economometics and Misesian um, Socialism, which I understand is now on a chalkboard to hear the name, but it was not incoherent what I said. When you when you start talking to people about things like, you know, the, the NJP's platform included, you know, taking health care out of the hands of four profit corporations okay they they worded it in some clever way like that but what that means is 
trying to remove the profit motive from an industry. Okay, it means the government's going to be the single payer health care provider and you're going to go to jail if you try to you know, provide medical care outside of that system. And you talk to people about that and they realize that that's preposterous and then they start making things up as they go along because what becomes evident is they actually have not thought about this in economic terms. It's not, you know, they reject economic thinking as such is the problem. And so what I've proposed is, you know, understand what those free market economists are saying and then throw all their political suggestions out the window, right? If you can understand what the consequence of a policy is going to be, then use that to estimate costs and to adjust and to do what politics requires, okay? And so that's not an unreasonable thing to do to intervene in the economy intelligently as opposed to trying to say that the laws of supply and demand do not exist. If you listen to that conversation between me and Eric Stryker that's on my Odyssey channel, you know, he basically tried to dispute the the notion that printing money causes inflation. Okay? Well, like when you when you have that conversation with somebody, when somebody tells you that increasing the number of monetary units in circulation is not is not going to cause inflation, they are fundamentally misunderstanding what inflation is. You know, he basically takes the the position that since other things place upward pressures on prices, that this demonstrates that this. It constitutes a demonstration that increasing the money supply is not what increases prices. Well, that's not true, okay? Other things can cause prices to go up if you go, you know, if, if you know, there's only two warehouses that supply a product and you go drop a bomb on one of them, you've reduced the supply of the product comparative to the monetary units in circulation. So the price is going to go up, obviously. Supply and demand, it's really not, it's it's not that complex and it's not, not only is it not complex, it's not controversial, you know, it's fairly straightforward. And when people start trying to tell you that obviously untrue things are true, you just have to, you have to either conclude that they're stupid or that they're bad actors at some point, you know, you, you know, you talk to your friend and your friend is not well studied in these things. And he he asks an honest, he asks a sincere question. Why can't the government pay for my health care? Okay. He's not actually saying that the government can pay for his health care. He's asking a sincere question. He actually doesn't know the answer to that. Okay. And if you say, well, the government can pay for your health care. Well, then the onus is now on you to explain how that's going to work. And nobody ever actually does that. What they actually do is they say something like, okay, well, paying for all the health care would cost this much based upon the estimates that I make upon current market conditions. We take all the money that people are spending on health care now and then we find some way to acquire or otherwise reallocate those funds. And then the government spends that money. But that doesn't work at all. That's nonsense. Because all of those people spending that money are creating the price pressures that form the prices. Okay. You go buy something from one guy, somebody goes buy something from another, you know, a guy provides a certain service at a certain price and he's more satisfactory than another. There's competition in a marketplace. This is how prices form. When there's only one payer, all of that stuff goes completely out the window. You can't, you can't from that deduce prices. And some people say like, oh, well, you know, other countries do this. Yes, other countries do it. First of all, it's a disaster. It's a major problem in those countries that are doing it. And the, the way that they're doing it is they're trying to get their cost estimates by, by making inferences from market economies. And so when you go out and you try to abolish the market economy, who's going to get their price inferences from where? Where is that going to come from? It's not going to happen. And then it will be impossible to estimate the cost and then it will be impossible to efficiently allocate the funds. And you'll be able to do it for some period of time, but eventually it's, you know, you're going to run into problems that you can't solve. And so, you know, I'm not enthralled to this silly, you know, it's not even anarcho-capitalism what people are talking about when they talk about, you know, free market 
absolutism. They're, they're like the free speech absolutists. That they, if you probe them, they don't need it any more than the communists do. I'm not enthralled to that nonsense. And people try to straw man it. Eric Stryker did this to me dozens of times. You need intelligent people with good intentions formulating coherent policies, realizing that there are problems with those policies when they occur, and then adjusting as time goes forward. Like, that's responsible government. And there's no alternative to it. If There's no... There's no alternative to good government. There's no alternative to decent people thinking about what needs to happen and then acting on that, realizing the errors that they've made, and then adjusting as time goes forward. There is no constitution that's going to resolve that. There's no form of government that's going to make that unnecessary. And so you hear people complaining about capitalism, like, you know, if you listen to them, what they describe capitalism as, then fine. Like, yeah, it's bad whatever you're discussing. Fine. You know, the Federal Reserve issuing currency at interest creates more debt in the system than there are monetary units to paying it back, which means that defaults are built into the system. Okay, fine. Is that capitalism? Well, if you wanted to find capitalism as that, fine, I don't like it. But as a matter of fact, you're using the word capitalism because it's vague and you're using it for the same reason that other people use the term racist, which is to confuse people and to make it impossible to organize thoughts around the subject. And so, you know, whether you're, whatever you're doing that's like right wing, if you're, if you're catering to those impulses, like you're, you're, you're heading down a catastrophic path. There's no negotiating with that nonsense, you know. I don't care if you want to go and, you know, I shouldn't say I don't care, but, you know, you, you can intervene in the economy in a myriad of different ways, right? You say like, okay, you know, these, this, this company is uh, interfering with the government. They're, they're pushing for immigration policies that are catastrophic to the society because they're pursuing a short-term interest or because they have an ethnic animus that they're acting upon. And so the government's going to go and they're going to seize all of their property. Fine. Okay, do that. And then the government can do whatever it wants with that. It go, go give that property to somebody who is more conducive to the stable operating of the civilization, right? Right-wing economics, in my view, is not inflexible. It's not it's not this free market orthodoxy nonsense that some people pretend that it is. What it is, is being coherent and being responsible. You let the market do what the market needs to do. And when you spot a, a circumstance that's disruptive to the stable operating of the civilization, then the government intervenes and alters the conditions of the market in order to alleviate that imperfect circumstance to the extent that they're able it then creates a new imperfect circumstance. And, and that never stops. <laughs> you know, the idea that you're going to fix it is stupid. The whole entire point is you change things as you have to. You know, that's my view of it. And so there's plenty more to say about that. and We'll get to it over time. But I'm going to call it a night for now. And I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, if, uh, you care to help me finance this production, uh, you can do that. ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate will give you all the details. GiveSendGo.com slash SPM is my GiveSendGo. SPM like Surreal Politics Media. My cash app is EdgyChris. You can find all my Bitcoin QR codes, Monero, all that stuff on the donate page. Um, I have the Amazon wish list is linked there. Uh, uh, SurrealPolitics.com slash gifting will get you to the, gift gu- uh, the gifting guide. At the top of my Amazon wish list right now, there's there's some hard drives. I'm, I'm running low on hard drive space. I just purchased an 18 terabyte drive with the help of a supporter. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I'm going to, I needed that. Like I'm actually literally running out of disk space. And so I, I just bought that thing to sort of offset it. But I, I now I met with the situation where I need redundant storage, okay? So, like, if I have the one hard drive and I put everything on the hard drive and the hard drive fails, like, I'm going to have a very serious problem. So, um, if you, I, it, money's always preferred, but uh, if you're somebody who's afraid that you're going to send money to me and there's going to be a problem, you can send the money to Amazon and Amazon will send me the gift. Failing that, you know what you could do? If you're just afraid to have your money touch me or mine or in any way, 
go give the money to St. Jude's. That'll make you feel very good, I promise. It, uh, you know, uh, Tony, who helps this production out a lot, <clears throat> mentioned uh, uh, this is a charity that he's fond of. And so uh, you can offset the massive amounts of money that Tony puts into this production by helping to fund St. Jude's Hospital, and that would be a great idea for you to do. Uh, so make yourself feel good. It's almost Christmas. I'll see you before then, of course. Let me see. As a matter of fact, wait a second. Let me just look real quick. What is, uh, whoa, next Monday is Christmas. I, I, I'm i going to see you on the member show. I'll see you Friday, but I, I totally lost track of the time. Christmas is here, ladies and gentlemen. So I will probably release something. Um, I'll, I'll release something for Christmas. I don't know that I'm going to do a live show on Christmas. I think that's very unlikely. You guys are all, all probably going to be busy. And so I'll, I'll record something and I'll put something out for Christmas, but I'm probably not going to do a live show. Um, maybe I'll come to you Christmas Eve. We'll see what happens. I don't really know what my plans are, if I'm honest with you. I got, uh, I'll discuss that another time. So anyway, thank you very much for tuning into Surreal Politics. See you Wednesday for the member show. Be cursing up a storm Friday. Merry Christmas, because uh, I'm not going to be able to take your calls on Surreal Politics likely before then. So. You know, watch out for that Santa guy. Don't shoot him, all right? You get in a lot of trouble. It's the last thing you need. Uh, Have a good night. Thanks a lot.